0: Look, I don't want to mince words and I don't want to be a jerk about it, but I had to wait until episode three for a hot guy to show up.
1: And once again, I'm scared. Do you see the wheels turning? What hot guy?
0: We'll get there. You'll remember when we get there.
1: Okay, I always forget. Very telling, isn't it? (laughs)
0: Before we get to the show as i always say if you're looking for more fun times more hilarity join jillian and me on the patreon you guys over 140 full bonus episodes girl we just finished the tiger king Ugh. we got all of that good riddance <laughs> know. you know what just get, get on the pates there's a lot going down on lady pates you guys there's also ad free episodes there are ringtones there are there's just so much stuff monthly surprises again can't say much about it that's what surprise surprises I know. <laughs> steve
1: don't worry i'm not spilling that much tea but there's stuff
0: just yeah. saying we also as you know started a new podcast you guys obsessed with disappeared episodes available right now it's me and my best friend of 20 years ellen marsh recapping episodes of the id show disappeared people are really liking it girl they think it's funny well good smart people out there then i know (laughs) good you're finally showing yourselves exactly i don't really have anything else to say it's a quick one today girl anything from you no still inside (laughs) that's really it what are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about the most dangerous animal of all on FX about this guy who thinks his dad, who wants, really wants his dad to be the Zodiac killer.
0: Right. (laughs) How many times does this guy say, look, I wish I could just say it's not me. It's not my dad. But you know, unfortunately I don't have that luck because my dad is definitely the Zodiac killer. It is such a lie. He wants his dad so badly to be the Zodiac killer.
1: Yeah. And we get into a lot of my feelings for this person. (laughs) (laughs) are all over the place, to put it nicely.
0: You guys, before we say anything else, this is a two-parter. So episode one, you're listening to it right now. Episode two of this is available ad-free at the $5 level right now on the Patreon, you guys. Just for a week, you guys. And then we move it to the $10 ad-free tier. Sometimes there's some confusion about that. But when we put out these two-parters, we just want you to be able to have both of them right away if you're on the Pates or if you want to join the Pates and get it, girl.
1: Yeah, so this episode of TCO is the first two episodes of the series. Exactly. And then episode two of TCO is going to be episodes three and four. Thanks
0: for the clarity. I really love you.
1: That's right, right? I said it right? Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) In San Francisco, two more communications
2: have been received from the person who calls himself the Zodiac Killer.
3: I often get asked, when you first suspected your father was a Zodiac Killer, why didn't you just stop? Because it was my identity and it was my story. I just had to know.
2: There's still a wound that I don't think heals until you know where you came from. This is the only picture that I have of Gary's father and it's his mugshot.
3: But it wasn't until I started doing my own research that I actually found out the whole truth.
4: Unforgettable. The Zodiac
3: is the kind of thing that people just crawl into.
4: In every...
3: I needed to know who he was, and I was going to find him no matter what. I asked my biological mother about my father. She said she didn't remember.
2: She claims she doesn't remember so that she doesn't have to face what she did.
3: The Zodiac said, if you crack this cipher, you will have my identity. I immediately saw my father's name.
4: What are the odds that Gary Stewart thinks his father was a Zodiac killer, and they've got the same handwriting, the same scarf, and they're in the same places.
3: If you look to the DNA, there's a 99% probability.
2: Things begin to get tense. He believes it
3: very strongly. I would much rather go home and say, we don't have that defective gene. It's been consuming his entire life.
2: He believes he is the son of the Zodiac.
0: All right, girl, do you want to get us started? Yeah, you know, uh,
1: (laughs) really dramatic but quiet opening credits. And for some reason I thought, because... You know, I know the case of this. I know the case of the Zodiac, and I know the movie Zodiac. And so I'm like, who is this guy trying to come in?
0: (laughs) We were here first. I'll tell you that I bought this book the day it came out. Like, I was obsessed with getting this book. I read it cover to cover in, like, probably a day or two. And I totally believed it. Like, hook, line, and sinker. But I was thinking about this today. I'm that idiot that will believe anything. You want me on your jury, because I'm persuadable. I
1: know. And meanwhile, I'm like, so, but I I love that, like, in this corner... (laughs) We have me and, like, the facts of the case. Right. And in this corner, we have you and this bullshit. And then somehow we meet in the middle and we just, like, scream about it.
0: That's how our podcast works. Like That's exactly. the full dynamic of our podcast. No, that's not just this one, girl. The thing about this documentary, you guys, is that I remember when this book came out, the book was a huge bestseller, and then there was a lot of blowback after the book came out about fact-checking this and, like, what's correct and what's a lie. And I thought this FX series was going to just be about the book, like, just sort of telling the story of this guy, like, trying to prove that his dad was a Zodiac. You guys, it's not that. It is the directors of this movie have no allegiance to the guy whose book they optioned. Like, I think the best episodes of this are the second two.
1: Yeah, because that's when I stop thinking that I was wasting my time right
0: (laughs) so it starts with this guy we meet the guy his name is gary stewart he wrote the book the most dangerous animal of all and basically he's like two camera telling us
3: i've had the fear of abandonment as far as i can remember there is a primal wound that adoptees have if you weren't loved enough to be kept how can you expect someone else to love you
0: speaking for all adoptees everywhere in the world. Every single adoptee in the world has low self-esteem because they feel they were abandoned at birth and nobody will ever really love them and already I am like turned off to this guy.
1: Yeah, you know I can't speak to this because this is not my experience but I agree. I didn't love the sweeping generalizations he's making. He's speaking for everyone who's ever been adopted and all the people who gave up kids for adoption. He's assuming that right. they're heartless, that they don't love them, that they just abandon people and it's like there are a zillion kind of different
0: circumstances here. Like
1: immediately I'm like Gary, come on. Come
0: not gary gary and then he like immediately is like oh and by the way my personal life is a big super fucking mess what
3: contributed to my business success certainly didn't help me with personal relationships i've been married five times i wasn't gonna let somebody leave me again and hurt me i would always leave first
1: (laughs) i was like girl Yeah, and I'm like, well, shocking. And he's just like on and on and on and on and on about these abandonment issues. Again, I can't speak to that experience, but we meet Leona, and that's Gary's adoptive mother. And she's like...
2: We told Gary he was adopted early in life. We hadn't since he was three and a half months old, so he was ours.
1: And then we get, like, Gary and the adopted mother and his adopted family saying, like, everything was really, like, puppies and rainbows. Super supportive family. No abandonment at all. Everyone's lovey-dovey. He he has a big, like, coven, this big clan. Cindy's like, we had a, Cindy, his sister, we had a fairy tale childhood. And then cut to Gary, like, I was abandoned every day of my life. And I'm like, (laughs) what? Gary like uh, I don't need to be insensitive because I know that that can be a thing in certain circumstances but like Gary's circumstances don't lend itself to that so I'm not sure why we're why we're here I totally agree and
0: then we hear Gary saying
3: that prior to the 70s all adoptions in the state of Louisiana were closed adoptions so I'd given up trying to find my biological parents and then one day after 39 years it happened and i never could have imagined what i was about to uncover
0: and then we learned that at 39 years old when he was 39 years old a woman called his father claiming to be his birth mother and like of course he's like it was the eve of mother's day i have a real mother but like i feel like i should go meet this person and so we meet her her name is judy chandler and it's his birth mother
1: yeah sometimes they call her jude she has a bunch of names <laughs>
0: We'll just call her Judy. At thirty-nine years old, he flies out to San Francisco to meet his birth mother for the first time. And Judy says, like
2: seeing him walking towards me in was a memory I will never forget
0: they spend this like blissful week together and then at the end of the week he decides he's gonna ask about his dad to which i was kind of like you waited a long time like that would have been my first i would have been like hi so nice to meet you tell me about my father though because
1: for the first 20 minutes of this episode he's obsessing about his father and these abandonment issues so yeah he's like you know i finally at the end of the week i have to know about my dad or it's gonna start to totally consume me and i'm like start and
3: she said well honey it's been a long time And I've spent my life trying to forget that time. But I think his name was Van. I was young, underage, and we were on the run. Hearing this, I couldn't imagine how she couldn't remember who my father's name was.
1: And so Gary is asking Judy And the more he asks The more she's like I don't remember And Gary is like I, I'm so mad at him in this moment Because she keeps saying like I don't know I don't remember I don't want to talk about it And he straight up says like
3: But the more questions I asked her about my father The more she said she didn't remember I didn't want to hear I don't remember I had too many questions and there were not enough answers.
1: Dude, can't you understand what this means? Like, it's so obvious there's some kind of trauma here and he just won't stand for any answers. And I'm like, Gary...
0: Just to play devil's advocate for a second, like, I kind of was on his side, which is like, there's a big difference between I don't remember and I don't want to talk about it. Yes, there is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And she blurs that line and I do not like it because her own sister, and I fully agree with Sister Lynn, is like... I
2: think that Judy remembers everything. She claims she doesn't remember so that she doesn't have to face what she did
0: what did she do i know (laughs) so judy is again still clinging to the i don't remember anything story but judy has friends on the san francisco police department and for some reason gary at this point doesn't ask her why but she sends gary to meet one of the guys from the sfpd and his name is harold
3: harold butler gave me my father's name date of birth place of birth social security number So I took that information to the social security office and they informed me that no death benefits had been paid on behalf of my father. So that gave me hope that my father was still alive.
0: Oh, and we need to say that we learned from Harold Butler that Gary's father's name was Earl Van Best Jr. Sometimes people call him Earl, sometimes they call him Van, sometimes they use his full name, so we sort of go back and forth, but it's Earl Van Best Jr. is Gary's dad.
1: Right. And then Harold gives him a DMV photo, and Gary was like, I was shocked. My father was still (laughs) and lifeless, but nothing's gonna stop me from finding my father and abandonment, abandonment, abandonment. So Gary tells us that Harold Butler from the SFPD is like,
3: Harold Butler told my mother just tell Gary to drop it what Gary's father went on to do later in life would make what his father did to you and Gary seem inconsequential
0: So Judy has implied to Gary that whatever her story was with Van, she doesn't remember it, but it was like definitely super newsworthy. Like it was covered in like the newspapers and stuff. So what's the next thing Gary does? He like goes down to the San Francisco Public Library and gets all of the newspapers from 1961 to 1963 to learn about his dad and Judy.
1: Right. So what he finds out is horrible. So Judy is in the paper as a 14 year old child bride, but in one of the articles it says she could pass for... 20 no my I eye went right to it on the screen I had to pause it I was like this is so gross so Earl met Judy as she was like getting off the school bus
2: I remember there was a man standing there and he spoke to me and I spoke to him I guess and then I was walking away to go home and he was behind me and the next day he was there again I don't think I was interested at the beginning, but the guy just kept showing up.
1: He was 27. She was 14. He, like, follows Judy home being a total creep, and he, like, does it a couple days in a row when she gets off the bus, and Judy says, like, I didn't think I was interested at first, but he just kept showing up, which is, like, the most heartbreaking thing that he just, like... I
0: know, I know, I know. so they go to, like,
1: get ice cream, and that's where the romance began, and so Judy was so impressed by him, and I'm like, girl, you were 14, he was 27, of course. But, like, also...
0: What 14-year-old girl wants to go, like, get ice cream with, like, a guy that's old enough to be her dad almost? Yes, it's, it's so gross. Like, that was very weird to me. But, you know, you know what kind of girl? The kind of girl that comes from a really fucking tragic, broken home. Her sister Lynn is back. By the way, we never see Judy and Lynn together. I'm like, do they still speak? I don't know.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't
0: know either. It seems like this whole thing tore this family apart. But Lynn, the sister is saying to us, like...
2: Our father was very quick-tempered. He beat us with a leather belt... And as we got older, that changed to the buckle end of the leather belt and we wiped the blood off of each other in the bathroom crying.
1: It's horrible just crying and like these little like kids and so by 14 you know Judy meets this 27 year old and she's like look anything has to be better than my home life like anything at all. Yeah. So they run away together in 1962 and they're married after three months they get married in Reno and you know Judy was totally brainwashed by him but in the papers they called it this ice cream romance and I'm like why is it that like pedophile kidnaps 14 year old? Like why is the right? headline? Why are the- <laughs> words ice cream parlor romance in big letters on I my know. screen like why I is know. it and I still can't a hundred percent decide if they are like charmed by this story they the newspapers or if they're trying to out a pedophile because it doesn't I feel like if you're gonna out a pedophile you just do it like there's no like you know if, if someone's outing a pedophile it feels a little bit like the is like well we don't want to break up the happy
0: marriage yeah
1: well she could pass for 20 everybody like well I don't care I and no no 14 year old could actually pass for 20 that's just something you tell yourself
0: and not that it matters but like today Judy looks like a million bucks. She looks great.
1: Like she's been through a lot and she looks like she's come to the other side of it and that makes me happy. Right? But yeah. th- and then another thing that's awful where it's like, "Oh my god, 1962, get it together." Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a really great time in the world for everybody. Yeah, trillion. that's
1: the greatest generation or whatever, right? Like, right. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so, okay, Boomer.
0: Exactly. So
1: they're on the run and they keep getting caught and Earl keeps getting put in like the county jail, but Judy keeps being shipped off to Juvie. I know. And I'm like, what did she do here? What did she do wrong here? She's the one who's being kidnapped. Why does she keep getting sent to Juvie?
0: They punish this young woman for all of these things that happened to her over and over and over again. And the first... time she goes to juvie
3: and because she was on the second floor my father told my mother to make a rope out of her bed sheets and shimmy on down the wall and they took off
0: we see this reenactment of this like beautiful young actress tying all these bed sheets together. Right now, listen. This is the kind of thing that sounds really good in theory. I feel like Sarah Jessica Parker also did this, and girls just want to have fun. She did. That is really fucking dangerous. I think about this all the time. I'm like, we live on the eighth floor. There's no fire ladder can get up there. If we had to get out of our building, we'd be tying together all the sheets we had in our house. And girl, that does not sound safe to me. No.
1: Would you? Would they have you like jump in that gigantic trampoline? Do they still have those <laughs> for the fire department? <laughs>
0: Can you imagine all those people eight floors down just like running in sync, trying to like, uh, trying to make sure uh, they break uh, <laughs> like. I'd be like that bear. Remember like a few years ago, there was that bear in a tree that they like shot with a tranquilizer dart because they knew it was unsafe for the bear. And the bear, the bear just tumbles out of the tree onto a trampoline sound asleep. Oh. (laughs) And the bear is just bouncing.
1: (laughs) Bear. Bears are going to bear.
0: Can you imagine an eight story plummet with this body onto a trampoline? I can't
1: imagine that with anything. (laughs) So now, all of a sudden, my fellow Zodiac movie fans, Paul Avery is here. Hey, girl. Now, Paul Avery is, like, big in the Zodiac case. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. played him in the movie, and Paul Avery wrote a lot about Zodiac, because he he was a crime writer at the Chronicle, and, yeah. you know, he, he covered crime in Vallejo, as they say, but at this point, it was, like, 1962, and he was still a crime reporter, so Gary tells us that Paul Avery, while working at the Chronicle, like, before he starts writing about Zodiac, he does all these hit pieces on his dad, Earl Van Best Jr. So
0: the, the thing about it is that this ice cream romance is kind of a big deal and so they keep like running away and getting caught and going to jail and running away and getting caught and going so they're kind of famous and so it's one of the times that like van is in jail and like young precocious is that the word paul avery like sneaks into the jail to interview him
3: later that night a young reporter named paul avery from the san francisco chronicle interviews my father and on august 1st The ice cream romance would make its first appearance on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. It painted my father in a very humiliating
0: light. And the thing about this interview, and we get into it more in another episode, like Van gives him an interview and he writes this article and he's really mean. Well, he's a pedophile and a
1: rapist and a kidnapper. So Paul Avery, you write what you have to write. I know. Like, say what you got to say. And so Gary is sitting here. Gary, who now like has done this this deep dive on his father and found out what kind of a monster he really is. He's like, I don't appreciate Paul Avery calling my dad exactly what he was. It was humiliating for my father. (laughs)
0: And the other thing about it is, like, you get the sense throughout this thing that Gary just needs his dad to be the Zodiac. And it's like, Gary, your dad and your mom had a fucking crazy story that was on the front page of the newspaper for, like, a year. Like, isn't that enough? Right, right, right. If you really need the notoriety, this story is cool enough, girl. Well cool. Right. <laughs> All right. Strike straight, straight cool from the record. This story is <laughs> yeah. interesting enough, you know.
1: There's enough horror to it, Gary, if that's what you need. If you need, like, if right. you need your dad to be some villain who isn't, he didn't just abandon you, he abandoned me because he's a monster. Like, if that's what Gary right. needs, it's already here.
0: Okay, so we're going back in time again to Gary's birth parents, Judy and Earl Van Best Jr., and they're on the run again.
1: Right. So, they end up in New Orleans, and by the time they get to New Orleans, Judy is like, this was awesome all about survival and Earl is just like hey can you do some sex work for money for us thanks and Judy was like
2: I was pregnant not that I would consider being a prostitute but I was pregnant she's
0: 15 years old and she's pregnant and they're in New Orleans and it's like uh why do we do this to people like she had to be with this monster to escape an even more monstrous home life like like at every turn this young Judy is has no choices she has no options no. you know no. so she has the baby and like right from the beginning as soon as she gets home with the baby Van hates it
2: I knew that Van was having a hard time with the baby I'm assuming because it took my attention away from him.
1: And remember, Gary was adopted at three and a half months old. So all of the the abuse that happens to Gary is when he's under three months old, which is just like, oh my yeah. God. And so like Judy's like, you know, one day all these fights, I hate this baby. And Judy like comes home one day and the baby is gone.
0: Yeah. And now we're with Gary because Gary's like, okay, I know from my mother that she came home and I was gone and that at three and a half months I'm adopted in Baton Rouge. Like, what's my story? So Gary doing his like library tour of the United States goes to the Baton Rouge public library. We're with him in the reenactment where, like, he's like, looking at these news stories again, and in the reenactment he's sobbing, mm-hmm. and he's like looking at this picture of himself as a baby, like this sort of like baby that nobody knows where it came from that they found in a stairwell in Baton Rouge. It's so fucking devastating.
3: How could any human being with a heart take their blood and lay it down and walk away and never look back? So you see, that's the most difficult thing for me to talk about.
1: And then, you know, like a couple weeks later, Gary is adopted by the family that raised him because he was adopted at three and a half months. So it's almost like he went directly like from the stairwell to his mother to this loving home, Right. you know?
0: And so we're back with Gary as an adult and he's picking up the story of what happened to his father. So after Van abandons Gary in the stairwell, Judy leaves him, but she doesn't get the baby back, but she goes back to San Francisco and Van gets caught again. And this time we learn he's sent to a Tascadero state mental hospital for 90 days which we've talked about this I don't remember what episode it was but it was like a hospital for like sexually deviant criminally deviant men yeah it must have been in one of the LGBT maybe oh it was the it It was was the pride Pride show show. (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's right and like basically what they would do is like
3: while in Atascadero my father was subject to medical chemical treatment for his disorder as well as electroconvulsive therapy which back in the early sixties was still considered a very effective way to shock the evil right out of someone.
1: So now, like, we kind of jump around from like what happened in the '60s to present day. Gary with his family, and because Gary has a son now named Zach, and at one point yeah. we're like with them outside at some like family barbecue, and Gary has yeah. has that DMV photo of his dad with the glasses on, and he's yeah. like, "Hey, Zach, hey, son."
3: When Harold Butler gave me this photo of my father, the first thing out of Zach's mouth was like, "He looks like a serial killer, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> You know, Zach's 10 years old, and you're thinking, what does he know about a serial killer? I mean, That's scary.
1: Remember when you said that my dad totally looked like a serial killer? And then he holds up the photo of Van next to his (laughs) son Zach's face to be like, look at the resemblance. You're related to a serial killer. And Zach is basically tipping over because he can't get away from the
0: photo far enough. I feel like there is the Zach-Gary dynamic is that Zach does a whole lot of putting up with his crazy dad. Don't you think?
1: Zach is the adult in the room when Gary's there always. (laughs) And Zach is going to one day is going to be like, dad, I can't can't raise you anymore Like I can't be The the father here Because you can't That's not a healthy thing To put on on Uh Family members And Gary does this thing Where like The stakes are so high Because you can't Abandon him Like he can't Handle any fault Or any like Rift in any relationship Like people fight Like marriages Like you fight in your marriage You're gonna fight With your son You're gonna fight With your kid And so he can't Handle any of that Like don't abandon me Remember what happened Don't abandon me Don't (laughs) abandon me And so Zach must have This pressure on him To like coddle his father Every day I'm exhausted Just thinking about it Do
0: you think That's how Steve feels
1: is that how you feel yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) girls i can't i can't hold your hand through this it's gonna be okay but the thing is you can you've done it for almost three years now you can keep holding my hand a little longer it's very
1: hot and sweaty in here i feel like it would be better if i just emotionally support you and not do the hand holding great great i will pass you a freezing cold cocktail though (laughs) that'll do
0: (laughs) <laughs> so Gary is like, now he becomes, oh my God, we are about to meet some characters. Gary is now obsessed with learning everything he can about Earl Van Best. And he knows that the best family is from South Carolina. So he literally goes into the phone book and just starts calling every best. And he says,
3: and I called up this one uh, number. And with that, I hit a goal by it. Hattie is the best family historian and genealogist.
0: And now we're suddenly in this old lady Hattie Van Best living room and she's got her genealogy stuff everywhere. I was like, why are we here? Who cares? Why am I talking th- to a genealogist? Like, I could not care
1: the less. The thing that I
0: loved about her was like her birth. I,
1: I, I don't the- care. <laughs> and normally I love like genealogy and family history and like I love all that shit, but this guy's a pedophile and a rapist and a kidnapper and not the Zodiac. I don't care. <laughs>
0: Well, Hattie has, like, very cool books. You know, she's, like, the best scrapbooker. I've always aspired to scrapbooking. I'll never do it. I'd be so bad at it. I wish I was
1: great. It just seems like those people who do it can do it, like, just from birth. Like, it comes so naturally to them. I would be overwhelmed. I'd be like, it's going to be perfect. And then it wouldn't be. And then I'd be like, well, fuck it. Like, that would be my, like, relaxing thing for the night. And then I'd screw it up, and then I'd be mad.
0: (laughs) You know? Well, Hattie is fucking great at it. She's also got one of those old books that looks like it comes from Hogwarts with like the mm-hmm. family photos on it, with like all the family trees and like the fancy writing. I'm just obsessed with Hattie.
1: Yeah, Hattie's great. It's just time and a place. I don't need her here. Right.
0: <laughs> Hattie would be great for a cocktail.
1: Totally. That's no. what I'm saying. Like a little mojito in the middle of the day. Absolutely. Totally, but not totally, now. totally. 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 That's today. But now we're back to Gary, and he's watching Cold Case Files. Cool, I know. Gary. <laughs> And it's an episode on the Zodiac Killer. And so they flash one of the many composite photos on the screen and Gary's like clutching the pearls. (gasps) My heart stopped. (laughs) It was like I was looking at my father. They
3: flashed a wanted sketch of the Zodiac Killer and my heart stopped. It's like if someone had taken a snapshot of my father and put it on that wanted poster, I let out some sort of extra terrestrial noise or something that Zach heard in the next room.
0: Guess who's there to pick up the pieces? Zach. Zach, Zach comes running out of the other room to rescue his dad. Zach says to us, two cameras, he's like.
3: He was very, very emotional. And it was a chaotic series of moments after that where you know, my dad's running back and forth between his office and the living room trying to find just the right picture to compare.
1: Yeah, Gary needs, like, his Purin tablets and the, <laughs> the cold compress and the whole thing. Like, that's yeah. that's where Gary yeah. is right now. And I'm like, first of all, girl, you're just now seeing one of the most famous, like, police sketch photos of all time in 2003. Yeah. Really? When, when you're looking for your father obsessively and in 2003, like, suddenly you learn about who the Zodiac Killer is?
0: I gotta tell you, though, girl, it is uncanny. Like, the photo of Van and the sketch of the Zodiac, it really looks like somebody drew a sketch of that photograph. Don't you think?
1: A little bit so he calls uh harold butler his mom's friend from the sfpd because gary's like uh my dad's totally the zodiac you guys i just learned about the zodiac five minutes ago (laughs) i think i know about it and so
2: according
1: to gary sfpd is like
3: harold butler reassured my mother that oh no judy tell gary that we know who the zodiac killer was he's been dead for 10 years we know who he was because of his dna we got his dna
1: no, it's not your dad. We have tons of DNA evidence. We actually secretly solved the Zodiac. It's one of the right. biggest cases ever. We didn't tell anybody. Keep it between right. us. But we solved it and we know for a fact it's not your dad and it's actually kind of a big cover up, so don't say anything. Right. And then Gary like goes to the online and he's on the shittiest looking website I've ever seen. Like this is his fact checking. It's like Zodiac Killer and it's just like this old like 1994 website.
0: So Gary's saying like, "Haha, they're lying to me. I've done my research." I know this case has never been solved. Also, and this was like, wait, wait a second. Gary says,
3: I found out that my mother's second husband was Rotea Guilford, a homicide inspector with the San Francisco Police Department. Rotea was a hero in the SFPD. He was also one of the inspectors on the Zodiac case.
0: He was the first African-American cop to be like elevated to detective, Mm -hmm. but they say he was a homicide inspector and he was, according to this moment in the documentary, he was also one of the inspectors on the Zodiac case.
3: That's when I begin to wonder if the SFPD might have been trying to cover up for Rotea. I don't believe Harold Butler was doing anything to try to protect me. I believe he was trying to protect Rotea's legacy and the reputation of the San Francisco Police Department.
1: No, that's my answer. The end of episode one. All right, so now it's... it's um, what is this thing called? The Most Dangerous Animal of All, episode two, and it's called The Search. And I just have, no, wasn't the last episode The Search?
0: <laughs> well, so we get, like, the first, like, two minutes is just, like, introducing the Zodiac Killer. What he was, how many people he killed, and it's super interesting.
1: Right, and Gary's talking about, like, if I had it my way, my dad wouldn't be the Zodiac, you know? I don't want it to be him, and I'm like, girl, good news, it's not. But he right. says, like... <laughs>
3: I I would much rather go home right now and go see my son and my grandson and say, it wasn't us. We don't have that defective gene.
1: This is where I'm like, this feels really wrong. Like, this guy is not well at all. Uh And like, this has nothing to do with the Zodiac. Not even a little bit. This is like his issues. And it feels very like, I shouldn't be watching this. Well,
0: you know who agrees with you wholeheartedly? His birth mother, Judy. It was so preposterous to me.
2: I don't believe that the San Francisco Police Department were trying to cover up for Rotea because I can assure you, if Rotea could have solved
0: that crime, he would have solved that crime. It was preposterous. She says preposterous 40 times in this series. She's
1: absolutely right. Judy can say whatever she wants at this point.
0: Yeah. And she's like, the SFPD wasn't covering up for Rotea. Like, because, and we hear this a million times in this episode, if he could have solved the Zodiac case, he would have solved the Zodiac case. Everybody in the world wanted to solve that case.
1: Right. And also, especially Dave Tosky and Bill Armstrong, the actual inspectors on the case, not Rotea (laughs) Guilford. He was busy being a political activist, uh, working for the gay community. He worked for the the LGBTQ community back in the 60s. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, he like solved a, a murder of a serial killer who was targeting gay men. Like he was very active. Like he had wow. other shit to do. Good shit. Yeah. Tosky and Armstrong handled the zodiac, okay? Enough. Right. <laughs> Whoa! You're getting
0: real you're getting worked up over there.
1: Don't mess with Mark Ruffalo, even if it's just someone he played on TV. I won't do it. <laughs> so Gary is like, I don't want anything out of this. I just want the world to know that my dad's the zodiac because I need it for me. So I'm gonna write a book. Right. <laughs> and his friend is like, Well, have I got the writer for you? Cue oh the my music. God cue the big hair, cue shooting a
0: gun into nature. I don't know what I'm looking at. But here comes Susan Mustafa. Susan Mustafa. You guys, she is shooting this hot pink plastic gun. I'm not joking. It looks like it was 3D printed. Like, you know that you are they can like 3D print guns now. It looks like one of those.
1: But she's just shooting into like tall grass. Like there's not I a know. target. Like she's no. just shoot like that's responsible gun owners. That can't be right, right? Like no. you don't just shoot right. a gun.
0: <laughs> right? It's very weird. You know, I was saying she gives me very like strong body move in vibes from Don't F with Cats
1: I mean from from this entrance with the music and the hair and everything we learn all we need to know about Susan
0: and of course we're immediately with her in her car and she's driving around smoking a cigarette with the windows rolled up girl that's my whistling smoking inside is my whistling
1: it's horrible and you could tell like of course she's a smoker she just you can hear it in her voice
0: yeah so she's been an investigative journalist for (laughs) 20 years she's the author of several best-selling true crime books okay and she says when Gary Stewart came to me
4: and told me that he believed his father was the Zodiac Killer, I was very skeptical because so many people have come out of the woodwork and claimed that their father was a Zodiac Killer or this person was or that person was. This is a case that's 50 years old. I mean, Nobody believes it can be solved.
1: I just love how Susan's like, you know, I was so skeptical because honestly, I cannot walk down the street with at least 15 people running up to me and claiming they know the Zodiac Killer. It's like, just let me live. I just want to go to the bar at two in the afternoon and have 16 Jim Beams. Leave me alone. I don't care if you know the Zodiac. And I'm like, Susan. Also, like, I will join you at the bar. I'm just saying, like, she can't walk down the street without everyone accosting her,
0: flinging manuscripts at her, just like out of their car windows. Just she gets hit in the head with it. Come
1: on, girl. This is me. You're talking to. Don't lie to me. This is me. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that, Susan.
0: So, Susan says that, like, she read the manuscript and thought that he was onto something, and then she says, if this isn't foreshadowing, girl, I don't know what it is. I know exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. She's like, but
4: when I read the manuscript, I thought, maybe he was onto something. However, if I wrote this book and it turned out it wasn't true, then my reputation was ruined.
1: Susan, just hold tight. Wait till episode three. So, But the thing is, like, she's like, yeah, you know, like, I read this manuscript and I totally believe him. And all of the things that she mentions for Believing Gary have nothing to do with the Zodiac, much like the series up until this point. Because she's right. like,
4: there were quite a few things that sold me on this project you had the ice cream romance judy and van running away to new orleans abandoning gary you had the adoption story of gary being left in the stairwell and then adopted by these wonderful parents and then gary's journey to
0: find his father
1: i don't Zodiac in anything you're talking about
0: no but it's the point that I was making earlier there's enough here if you want to write a story about like the search for your father Gary that's interesting there's enough shit here like the story of Van Best Jr. is a book I would read like he's a total weirdo monster and he abandoned you in a horrible way and like you don't need the Zodiac I would totally read this book
1: and how about the mother that you so desperately wanted to meet like why don't you tell her story and do her a little bit of justice this woman who had a really fucking horrible life who went from one nightmare to another because that was what she thought the best option was how about you do right by her yeah no oh, great let's move on I can't <laughs> Gary <Mm-mm. laughs>
0: Oh my God. All right. So we're back in time again with Van, who's Gary's birth father. And we're reminded that Van went to Atascadero in 1965, then San Quentin. Then he returns to San Francisco, where he gets married for the third time to a woman named Edith Koss, who was a social worker. Apparently, she was his social worker at San Quentin. And she gets pregnant. Guess who's not thrilled about it, girl?
1: Van. I just have, like, <laughs> you know, because Susan's like, let's go to San Francisco and recreate the life of Earl Van Best Jr. And I just have, I'm bored. <laughs> (laughs) This guy's a monster. I know everything I need to know about him. He's a piece of shit. Like, they're working backwards. They're like, okay, Zodiac Killer exists. Earl Van Best Jr. exists. Let's do our damnness to link them together.
0: Because he looks like that guy in the picture. Which I would have fallen for too, by the way.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, this was a well-made series for better or
0: worse. But so, like, basically, we got this whole like ten minutes about how like he was so bummed out about the idea of having another baby that he like falls into drugs and the summer of love in '67 in San Francisco. And like, Gary's telling us he was hanging out with bad people, man, bad people. Like that Beausoleil character from the Manson family, Bobby Beausoleil who takes every interview from prison. I mean, he like
1: he's in prison. It's all. It's like the only way he can take them. But he'll talk to anybody and everybody.
0: I just remembered that that was like my funniest moment of our first live shows when I did. Bobby Busselé with the sword. Do you remember? Yeah. Ah! Oh my god. Yeah. Like no, I don't want to do it. And he's and I feel bad. He's like, I really like,
1: I hated it. But it's like, yeah, let's let Squeaky throw him out. But Bobby Busselé, who's like totally remorseful, is just rotting away in prison. You guys,
0: I'm not trying to sell the Patreon, but like, if you want to go watch our very first live show ever, the video version of it is up on Patreon, and it's kind of amazing. <laughs>
1: oh my god. Remember? <laughs>
0: yeah. But what you what
1: was that? Did you say a live show? What is? Uh, li- it was. A, it's a long story. It's a long okay. story.
0: I'll, I'll tell you about it later. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll need a man to explain it to me. So. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Um, but Bobby Boussoulet is like well
0: I I, I met Van when he tried out for a band that I was putting together called The Orchestra we enjoyed playing with him and he seemed to be enjoying playing with
3: us but the band wasn't making any money at that point because we hadn't started gigging yet um, he left because he needed, buy, he needed to make some money
1: I knew Van, I met him He tried out for a band I was putting together It's called The Orchestra Girl, you want to know how it's spelled? How? O-R-K-U-S-T-R-A Because the 60s Because counterculture <laughs> And Van booked it He booked the I band don't... But then he quit Because they weren't But were... they didn't start
0: making money enough quickly
1: <laughs> And then Bobby Musolei's like Because we hadn't played a gig You can only make money If you play a gig and Van quit before we could book the whiskey a go-go or whatever.
0: It's because he had to go hang out with the other guy that he was best friends with, Anton LaVey, you guys. Welcome, Anton LaVey, to the program. Yeah, founder of the Church of Satan. He featured prominently in our first live show, too. Lots of connections here. But so, like, this is where Susan is saying, like,
4: if one were to do a psychological profile on Van from the hatred of his mother to the abandonment by his father... And as he grew, he became violent towards his wives. It was obvious Van's rage was building, which would inevitably lead him to murder.
0: What? That escalated quickly. (laughs) So now we're getting more about the Zodiac, right? So we're back to 1969. This is when the Zodiac writes a letter and like a piece of a cipher to three different newspapers in the San Francisco Bay Area.
3: Here is part of a cipher. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper, In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher, I will go on a kill rampage Friday night until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend.
1: So the thing is, like, the Zodiac was saying he was sending three different ciphers to all these newspapers, and if you put it together, it was supposed to be one big message. And he's like, my identity is in this cipher, so figure it out.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Figure it out, girl.
1: And we cut to Gary, and Gary's like...
3: I had no idea what the cipher had to do with my father. And this is exactly like every other discovery I made. I wrote to Washington, D.C., requesting my grandfather's military record just to try to find out anything.
0: Then he said, well, then I learned that my grandfather in the war was a code breaker. Right. And when he came home, he taught code breaking to Van. And they used to make ciphers that they would try to trick each other with. So, like, this is another one of those coincidences that points to the fact that, like, my dad wrote ciphers. The Zodiac wrote ciphers. Obviously, they're the same person.
1: Right. So, no one can crack these codes. The cops, the CIA, like, the highest code breakers in the military can't break it. How is that?
0: Possible. I feel like if I spent 15 minutes with it, I could probably crack it. Like, how are these like high-level people unable to solve? Like, didn't we go through World War II? I believe we did, yes. I, I yes, right. I believe we did. But like, wasn't that a major part of it? Like, I'm just saying, like, we have code breakers in this. Like, we have to be able to solve a, a cipher that this idiot wrote. Well, I think that's an example of like
1: just too many cooks in the kitchen because it like a high school history teacher and his wife solve it in their breakfast nook because they aren't thinking, like, we have the best code-breaking minds in the world. They just did the puzzle at their breakfast nook. You know what I mean?
0: Like, I feel like also the wife is a little bit like left out here. I feel, you know that like he was making the coffee and she actually solved it. Totally. But when they called the cops, they were like, oh, a man.
1: Great. Right.
0: (laughs) But the whole point is that the Zodiac Killer's identity is supposed to be in this cipher. Right. And no one's able to find it except for Gary.
3: So it's a solution plus the original puzzle. When I looked at it, I immediately saw my father's name. E V B E. -E 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 S T J
0: R I'm looking at him, explain to me where it is and I don't see it. Right,
1: it's like he just keeps like finding letters in random order and jumping to all these conclusions. And based on this alone, he's like, that's it, my dad's right. the Zodiac. This and that picture, oh my God,
0: it's totally him. Yeah, I, we get this whole thing here about the Lake Berryessa attack on September 27th, 1969. According to the man that survived, the Zodiac says to him, I need the keys to your car so I can drive to Mexico.
3: The most significant connection to my father from Lake Berryessa was the fact that the Zodiac told Brian Hartnell that he wanted his car keys so he could drive to Mexico. That's where my father earned his money. My father's profession was as an antiquities dealer. He was making trips down to Mexico.
1: And the thing- is, though like Zodiac was lying to them because he leaves the car he writes the dates of the other murders on the, the side of the car
0: right exactly he doesn't
1: take their car and like criminals skip town in Mexico all the time Mexico isn't hard to get to from California right <laughs>
0: It's just the thing that people do sometimes. So, you know, after he's made all these connections, and we're not done with the connections yet, but, like, you know, we get this whole middle section of this episode that's, like, focusing on how his obsession with researching his father and connecting him to the Zodiac Killer is, like, totally fucking up his life and all of his relationships.
1: Right. And, like, most notably, Judy, his birth mother, the person he's been agonizing over his entire life. He's finally here with her. Yeah. And this whole obsession with, like, his dad being the Zodiac is really... Them apart.
2: With Gary, things began to get tense simply because he believes it very strongly. And he has even said, I mean, he's shouted at me on the phone, what did my dad tell Rodea?
0: And then we're, we're back to sweet baby Zach. And Zach's like, you guys, it was really hard. Like, here I am trying to raise my dad and it's just getting harder and harder.
1: Yeah, you know, those 39-year-olds, they're real handfuls at this age. Like, Zach! <laughs>
0: We meet this woman who's his fourth wife, and I gotta tell you, she's, like, staring at the camera, and she really looks like she has been through it.
1: Kathy, married three and a half years.
0: Yeah, so her name is Kathy, and she says, she's like,
2: Gary and I were married for three and a half years, and it started in a whirlwind romance, and it ended about as quick as it began.
0: It started out as a whirlwind, and it ended as a whirlwind, you guys. <laughs> she,
1: she's like, Z- Zach and I still text about it. It's a right?
0: whole thing. <laughs> right, and she says that like before we got married, Zach's mother called me and was like, you in danger, girl. Yeah. Like, you don't actually know this guy. Get out.
1: So Kathy got out. Christy. Is now his current wife. Yeah. And Gary's like, Well, thank God for Christy. And I'm like, Christy, who must have the patience of a saint, or just you put so much pressure on her that she feels like you will actually implode onto yourself if she leaves you because remember, abandonment. One more time. Is that how you feel, girl?
0: <laughs> uh huh. So- <laughs> girl, blink twice if you're okay, but don't blink at me because. <laughs>
1: I, I was just blinking into the... No, everything is wonderful.
0: Oh, good. That's what you would say if you felt trapped.
1: But Christy is there, and it's like... Her, her lower third is like, current wife. And I'm like, question mark, parentheses? Because she's like... I probably realized how
4: important it was to him maybe a year or so into our marriage when he became nearly obsessed, if you will, with digging and finding more and more. So We had many discussions over... The fact that I felt like it was taken away from us and our family and our children.
1: We're still married. Um he he's obsessed. He's yeah. in a word. He's um it's 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 hard. Yeah. You know, it's uh
0: You can't see your hands because it's holding a cigarette and the whiskey.
1: Ooh, yeah. I'm I mean, Christy, again, I'm here. I'm always here to talk. With if you want happy hour, we can do a brunch, we can do whatever <laughs> you want. Because we're gonna need the whole day. She says it like it was difficult for me because it took away from time that after I mean we're early in our marriage that we should be doing other things besides researching serial killers.
0: Can you imagine if like you're in a new relationship with this person that you really like and it's like do you want to come over and meet my parents? Well I would but I was kind of hoping we could go back to the library and keep reading about serial killers. Wait, that basically describes everybody who listens to this podcast. You guys, you're not alone. Well, here's the thing. It's not that. It's,
1: you want to help me prove that my dad is totally the Zodiac? I This is the hill I need to die on. I need my dad to be, because it's not like, hey, you want, it's like, you know, true crime docs right. and chill or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. I, do, I actually do kind of want to research that. thought you'd never ask. I finally found my partner in
0: life. But see, this is why our marriage does work so well, girl. This is why I know you are okay.
1: Exactly. And I'm not saying I need my dad to be the Zodiac. Right. (laughs) Ha,
0: ha, 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 ha. Isn't your dad John Gotti? Girl, you can't have them all. My
1: dad is not John Gotti.
0: How dare you? (laughs) Let's talk about the Paul Stein murder, shall we?
1: Yeah, the Paul Stein murder. So this is a cab driver. And, you know, Zodiac was kind of breaking the pattern here because it was all these like heteronormative lover's lane kind of things. And this is a cab driver. And this is incredibly frustrating because when the call went out. This
0: is unbelievable. How did everybody not get fired?
1: This is super frustrating because when the call went out, the suspect was a black man. And of course, this is not the case. And the description was fixed, but not fast enough. And technology in the 60s and everything sucked so they were so close to catching him at one point like the cops even they think stopped him and said have you seen a black man in this area and it was actually the Zodiac Killer just like lumbering down the street how
0: brazen though there's one other thing that happened here that I want to talk about we get like a from the day interview with Dave Tosky, and I have oh my god Tosky was hot Dave Tosky is
1: a rock star (laughs) let me okay you know uh you know Bullet Steve McQueen Bullet and how he would wear that shoulder holster that he would wear that shoulder holster
0: that shoulder holster the other day when we were recording the Maura Murray episode of Disappeared I was trying to say Maura Borrowed because I say Borrowed so I was trying to borrowed. say Maura uh-huh. Borrowed and I couldn't it took me like 10 tries Mora. to say it Maura Borrowed
1: Maura Borrowed that I could say <laughs> till the cows come home but the shoulder holster um, screw you Pats <laughs> of shoulder holster I don't know why it's like not getting there I also like I'm totally out of water and my mouth is yeah, like it's girl so it's 800 degrees in here okay um, I'm gonna take that whole thing again So, you know Bullet, Steve McQueen, that character Bullet? And he would wear, like, the shoulder holster thing. He... he that from Toski. Like, Bullet is based on Dave Toski. Dirty Harry was based on Dave Toski. He had his cute little bow ties and his little shoulder thing. And it was like, Dave Toski was a yeah, goddamn rock star. He's the best. Is he still with us? He's not. He, a couple years ago, passed away. But he was the head inspector on the Zodiac case. And yeah, he's
3: the best.
0: Yeah. And so this is where Gary wants to connect his dad again. Because he's like, As I
3: looked at the details from the Paul Stein murder, many things popped for me. My father lived at 797 Bush Avenue, which is exactly two blocks from where the Zodiac hailed Paul Stein's cab.
0: And also remember that fingerprint girl that they got from the from the bloody cab the
1: partial print remember
0: the partial print it's of a right index finger and it has a scar across it mm-hmm. and we see an image of Van Gary's dad suspected Zodiac killer we see like what we're being told is the same finger it's got the same scar and they do an overlay and it is identical and I was like Oh my God, no, you guys sit tight. But in the moment, I was like screaming. I, I was like, well, we solved it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Gary, girl, call we me, it. we totally did it. I believe you This now. is the debut of Susan saying, what are the odds that Gary Stewart's father could have the same scar as a Zodiac killer?
0: Susan says it over and over and over again. Susan goes, What are the odds that Gary's father could have the same scar as the Zodiac Killer? What are the odds that Gary's father would live two blocks from where the Zodiac Killer was picked up in the cab? She says, What are the odds 800 times?
1: She's trying to convince herself right so now. She <laughs> needs it. Like, she suddenly needs him to be the Zodiac now for other reasons. So, we're like more Zodiac letters. Yeah,
0: we got the next cipher. It's the 340 cipher. It's like the big famous one that no one's been able to solve, except for Gary, of course. Gary of immediately course. finds his dad's name in the cipher.
3: You can see it clearly. E-A-R-L-V-A-N-B-E-S-T. And he spelled out Junior for the very first time. J-U-N-I-O-R. Earl Van Best Jr. Backward.
1: Girl, I got news for you. Our names are in that cipher. Like everyone, it's just letters. It's I just know. like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: But it's not even letters, it's symbols. And we'll get back to this in a minute. Like he's making a leap. Like he makes a triangle into an A. It's not necessarily yeah. an A. No, girl.
1: But then we end this episode with Michael Wachschel, who's this forensic document examiner. And I say that very, very lightly. <laughs>
0: This was really fascinating to me, too, though.
1: Yeah, so he's here to talk about handwriting. Because back in the day, like, before handwriting was kind of thrown out as, like, sort of junk science, yeah. like, handwriting was a big part of this case. All the guy did was write letters. Like, yeah. obviously, we're going to look at the handwriting.
3: As a document examiner, there are at least 21 different attributes that we look at for handwriting comparison. And no one of those attributes will confirm or not confirm that it's it's a person. It's You have to look at the, the whole the entirety of the writing.
1: This Michael Wachschel guy is comparing one of the Zodiac letters to the marriage certificate between Earl and Judy.
0: And like, I gotta say, like, you know, when he pulls some of the letters out and we see they look really similar and he puts a J over a J and it's like basically identical. And I'm like, okay, you guys, here we are.
3: My opinion was that there's a strong probability that Earl Van Best Jr. wrote the Zodiac letters. The word strong probability is synonymous with virtually certain.
0: he actually says it's a strong probability that Earl Van Best wrote the Zodiac letters then he actually has to explain to us what a strong probability is thank
1: you Michael I'm not an idiot thank you so much you
0: dummy but then like we end this episode with Susan saying what are the odds that they have the same handwriting and the same scar and the same police sketch and they're in the same places stop saying what are the odds
1: well that but also we end this with something that I was thinking of you because it's the end of the second episode and Gary is already talking about how he wants to end on forgiveness I know
0: I thought of you too. And
1: he's
3: like... I certainly have to compartmentalize my feelings about the father I never knew in order to try to give him a fair shake. Because I believe everybody who, who may have done something in their past should be given the opportunity to receive forgiveness
1: you know my father who's a pedophile and an abuser and a rapist you know and also who Gary thinks on top of that is in addition the Zodiac Killer he's like I just want to give him a fair shake you know like I just want him the opportunity to receive forgiveness my sole purpose is to find him and that's what I'm going to do and I'm like that's his catchphrase if Susan is what are the odds his is like I just want to find my father and I'm like you did he's an asshole and a piece of shit but he's not the Zodiac Killer I don't know why he has to be both
0: Alright you guys, that was parts 1 and 2 of the most dangerous animal of all. Parts 3 and 4 are our next episode. It's available right now in ad free at the $5 level on the Patreon. You guys it's just going to be there for a week and then it's going to be moved to the $10 tier with all the rest of the ad free episodes. But if you want to hear the conclusion to this, and I'm telling you, the second two episodes of this are so good. I mean they're so good, I can't wait to talk about them. You can go find it there. It's when
1: I start to come around right? take that as you will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just a little, a little hint, a little wink there for
0: you. Not to mention you guys, on the Patreon, 140 full bonus episodes. It's where we do the series. It's Don't F with Cats and Tiger King. We're doing McMillions, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, Serial, Lacey Peterson. Oh, okay. OJ Made America.
1: God, am I? Should America. I even be here? Am I even needed here? Fine, just whatever.
0: You know where to go. patreoncom Obsessed, or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Um, girl, we don't have to tell them what we're doing next because we're doing this next. We're doing this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Easy. Easy peasy. Do you want to tell them where they can find us? Yeah, they can find us at TrueCrimeObsessed.com. That has everything you could possibly need or want. And probably yeah. more than that.
0: Merch, episodes, see us live if that ever happens again.
1: Mm-hmm. Promo codes. Yeah, yeah a lot of people in the Facebook group are asking for our promo codes. They're yeah. all there. They're all on the website. They're
0: all there on the website. Steve updates it every week. You know what? Thanks, Steve. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Go follow us. You guys we are doing stories and lives. It's so fun. So fun. You can find Jillian on all the socials at at Jillian with a G. You
1: are Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter.
0: That's right. We love you, you guys. Stay tuned for the outtakes from this. We've got no trailer this week so maybe we'll just do a lot of outtakes <laughs> yeah
1: just me yelling about how like i'm a purist when it comes to this shit don't mess with the program
0: all right we love you <laughs> bye. bye wait i think this one's called the killer
1: no that's three.
0: <laughs> oh, okay wait what's the first one called
1: my identity oh <laughs> it's all exhausting
0: she has a catchphrase. Do you know who else has a catchphrase? My daughter, Daisy Judith. Quick outtake, Daisy, now that she sees me doing these kinds of videos, she begs to do videos and she's like a little social media influencer in her bedroom, like making videos just for her. She jumps on her bed and makes peace signs and yells, stay posted. Stay posted, you guys. Stop. <laughs> stay posted. Ahead
1: of her time, stay posted. TM, 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 you guys don't steal that. Don't I steal that, TM, 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 TM.
0: TM. <laughs> she's put in a quarantine ward for hepatitis, and Van poses as a doctor and steals her from the hospital? When I was 15, I could barely get boys to look at me. This guy's stealing her from a hospital? Hey, you don't want this kind of guy. (laughs) Gary says that there's a
1: police report that says that Earl abused him and put him in a footlocker, which I had to Google. Um, (laughs) I was like, they didn't have stores back then. They didn't have the footlocker stores. No.
0: He drove him to the mall and he put him in the Foot Locker and then he okay. went to the Friendlies and got a Fribble. Oh my god.